Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. What's up, friends? I am Julie Bender, still. (laughs) You still are. (laughs) You know, Julie, I have a lot of memories from my childhood. Some are great. Yeah, I really do. I feel like I don't have many, but okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. Shall we just talk through our childhood? Um, That's definitely another episode. That is another episode. Actually, we should do, but another day. (laughs) But you know, some of them are really great, and some of them are not so great. But you know, I remember being a little girl with my holsters and my cowboy hat and my cowboy boots. And how about you? What'd you look like? I just like? would really have liked to have seen you as a little girl. I just imagine you like maybe, maybe only like six inches shorter. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's the size I was when I was little. Uh, yeah. I mean, I certainly have key childhood memories. Some are tragic and some are very sweet and fun to recall. Well, and do you know that there is a whole lot of information on childhood memories and, um, I think we should unpack a few of these. Let's start. The brain actually begins to develop memory from the time we are infants. Interesting. This is called recognition memory, and it allows babies to recognize certain sounds and sights like their parents' voices and faces. Oh, I absolutely believe that because you can see when a mom opens her mouth, the baby immediately, it's like a homing device, looks at them, responds to them. Everybody else, they may be bored to tears with, but (laughs) (laughs) like literally tears. Yeah, literally. That's right. I'm ready for all of it. Um, Some studies report that the average four-year-old asks about 437 questions per day. Certainly Lincoln has asked more than that. Uh That sounds like a lot, but if that's average, my kid's up there. (laughs) Yours was 1,012. For sure. What about what about yours? Um, Lauren asked a million questions. Chelsea, and Chelsea didn't. Yeah, Mm-mm. no, Chelsea, not so no. much. Okay, between the ages of two and seven, emotions. Oh, really? Play a big role in memory. The science: when someone experiences an emotional moment or an event, the brain releases dopamine, which makes it easier for the person to recall that moment with greater accuracy as they grow older. Okay, this is going to be a womp womp. But when I pre-read this before we recorded, I had like, oh, this is definitely Lincoln and like things that he could remember about his first dad Uh that people thought there's no way he actually remembers it. But I think because of the trauma of losing his dad, he did hold on pretty tightly, at least right away to some of those memories. I've seen other science that says memories don't really stick until you're older. And as he's gotten older, it does kind of seem that that also proves to be true, which is just so crazy with the way memories you know come and go at different seasons yeah it's very true Hmm. okay on a lighter note walking through doorways triggers the brain to forget yes it does i've not heard this before (laughs) but psychologist gabriel radvansky studied people moving objects between rooms versus in the same room and found that they were two to three times as likely to forget what they were supposed to do after walking through a doorway. There it is, folks. That's why we have that problem. Yeah, and I don't care if this really is a research and there really is a guy named this or not. I say it is absolutely true. (laughs) I walk through a door and I have no idea what what I'm doing. What did I come in here for? Uh How many times have we said that? Yep. All right, a 10-year-old boy. All right, this is going to be good. Nishwal 
Nishwal. There's no W in that letter. Oh, that name. Nishwal. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever your name is. I'm butchering it, but Nishwal Narayanam. Okay. He claimed a Guinness World Record for most random objects memorized. He memorized 225 random objects in a little over 12 minutes. So what, did they put him in front of him? I don't know. I read this point and I thought, certainly this is one we're going to skip because we have no idea how to say (laughs) his name. And I found myself in podcast prep trying to be like, what does that mean? Like he repeated what the objects were. He was able to say where they came from, what color they were. I don't understand this process at all. And it makes me wonder if some people are out there just making up crap to get Guinness World Records. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, why am I not doing this? (laughs) Here, I'll put 226 random objects in front of you. I mean, I think we could make up a crazier, weirder, easier thing for me to do. And then I just get this award and it gets added to my bio forever. There you go. Okay, last but not least, left-handed people make up just 10% of the population, but have better memories. Okay, you're right-handed, correct? I am. I am too. But Lincoln is left-handed. That was this, remember when I mentioned there was another fact? It was actually this one. It was at the end of the paper. But he's left-handed. And I actually wondered if that also helped him in the beginning oh, hold on to some of his memories. Between have. these two factors, yeah. that little boy clung to some things. Yeah, and here's the deal on that fact. I can go see. I, it's, I'm not even responsible for not remembering things. I'm right-handed. Look okay? at me. I'm writing with my right hand. You can't expect <laughs> any more from me. That's right. So clearly, our brain has the capacity to remember a lot. It's easy to see how some memories can stay with us for a long time, both good or bad, and they can impact our lives as we grow older, as we've all seen in various ways in our own lives. Today's guest struggled with traumatic memories from her childhood that impacted her perception of herself and her relationship with others which I think will come as a bit of surprise when Julie tells you who it is. Our guest today is American Idol Season 5 alumna Mandisa. She's a Grammy award-winning artist who got her start singing backup for Trisha Yearwood and Shania Twain. Oh, how much I wish we could make this whole episode about that. (laughs) Her 2013 Grammy award-winning album, Overcomer, debuted at number one on the Billboard Christian Albums chart. The album's title track proved to be a smash at radio and earned the Grammy for Best Contemporary Christian Music Song. With more than 1.6 million records sold, Mandisa is a voice of encouragement and truth to people facing life's challenges all around the world. Welcome, Mandisa. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you. So good to be with you. Well, I know we're going to go a little bit dark, you know, nod to out of the dark in a new book, (laughs) but I like to start light. So I'm, I'm throwing it all the way back. I just read that bio and I would love to hear share one story from early on in your music career it can be an idol story or i'm a little partial to hearing something from the trisha or shania days tell us one of your favorites oh <laughs> well the trisha and shania days i wish that they were a bigger deal than they actually were oh, oh, i was <laughs> i was in a group called the fisk jubilee singers um, from fisk university out of nashville tennessee and they were the group that introduced negro spirituals to the world back in the 1800s mm. and so um they put together both it was both Trisha and Shania on two separate occasions, they wanted a group to sing with them for like the CMT awards, the CMA awards, I don't remember which ones. Mm -hmm. So I sing with them as a part of that group. So that, you know, when you're in college and you're having opportunities like that, it's kind of unbelievable to think that you're on such a stage and to look back on that and to see everything that's happened since then. It's like, wow, I've really had some great, extraordinary experiences in my life. Yeah, I mean, that definitely beats my middle 
puppet years where I did puppet <laughs> ministry in my Methodist church. It was just not quite the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we are going to jump into the book. Um, but, you know, give us give us a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. Um, right now, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I did finish the tour, you know, I was on tour when the world shut down uh-huh. and we were actually able to, um, finish up those dates just mm-hmm. a, a few months ago. And then the book came out. And so I've been really busy doing that, been doing some speaking engagements, which is really different for somebody who's used mm-hmm. to having like a band yeah. Oh, um, yeah. playing songs. And so, <laughs> yeah, actually standing on a stage and having to tell my story for 45 minutes is very different than having dancers and singers surrounding you. So I've been doing a lot of that. And um, it's it's just kind of interesting, the different stages of life that yeah. I've been able to experience. And this is just one more. I, I don't think I'm done with music, but right now I'm a little bit more focused on um, the book and speaking. That's awesome. Well, okay, let's let's hear a little bit more of the book, In Out of the Dark. You share some of the struggles and the trauma you've encountered since your childhood. So tell me what inspired you to feel ready to share that story. Yeah, I don't I don't want people to think that it's this dark, depressing book. Like mm. the part of it that I love is that I share how God was there in the middle of it and how he's brought me out of it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I hope that it's a book of encouragement and the reason I wanted to share this story is because I think the issue of depression, anxiety, a lot of mental health issues, um, I want us to be able to speak about that more as Christians, because a lot of people are facing it. Yeah. And so I have found that when I talk about these issues, I hear from several people who say, I've experienced similar things. I'm so glad to know that I'm not the only one. And so at the timing of it releasing, you know, when we were smack dab in the middle of a pandemic, I don't think it's a coincidence, just, mm. you know, calls to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline were up like 300%. And I think it's just such an issue that's facing us in our society today. So I wanted to write the book to give hope and encouragement to people, but also I hope to share some tools um, of how God has brought me out of it and how he continues to. I'm not really writing it from the perspective of somebody that has it all figured out and has never revisited it, but as somebody who is walking through the journey of the shadows to find God's joy. That's the subtitle. It's very appropriate for where I am today. Boy, Mandisa, you are speaking our language Mm -hmm. because, you know, we walk with a lot of women who kind of want to hide hide all of their hurt and hide their depression and don't really they they think if they put it out there then they look weak or they don't look like their faith is strong enough or they don't look like they're dealing with it and we are uh you know we're an organization that goes use all tools go find counseling go find friends do whatever you need to do because god's given us a lot of resources to take what we've gone through and actually turn it around in the way that he wants us to so we're right there with you yeah i i think that that is so important i love that you all do that because i do think it is the issue um, that will need to be talked about uh, in the society that we're in today. And I I do also think um, I want to attribute, like for me, seeing my counselor, I attribute it to the same way that when I have a physical ailment, I see a doctor. Mm-hmm. I think that there are professionals that God has given us that can help us deal with some stuff that 
I'll be honest, I was not dealing with these childhood issues until I started seeing my counselor. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just have, having somebody who has studied this and is professional and knows how to, you know, walk through some of these issues has been one of the biggest gifts for me in this journey. Absolutely. Well, can you take us back to your childhood? Tell us some of the experiences that you're referring to that had such an impact on you. Well, I think the probably the big markers for me were one, my parents divorced. It happened when I was really young, but my father moved away when I was 10. And so just some of the, you know, rejection mm-hmm. issues that you face, I didn't even realize that I had kind of believed as a child. And so looking back, it's part of what's been cathartic about writing this book is mm-hmm some of the messages that I believed as a child regarding that. And um, also probably the big one is I was raped when I was 16. And again, I thought I had dealt with it, but realizing how I attribute um, my self image and beauty um, to being dangerous, you know, as the boy was raping me, he kept telling me how beautiful I was. And so in the mind of a child, and I do believe that 16 is still a child, uh-huh. how can you not get mixed messages from that? And my my weight was always up, up until that point, but it really ballooned after that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came to understand, I would turn to food for comfort. I still do to this day. And I've got great times and I've got you know, not so great times, but understanding how these messages that were formed at an early age, how going back to unravel some of those things, it's hard work. Sometimes I feel like it's harder work than like working out with a personal trainer. It's (laughs) unraveling some of those childhood messages. But I think it is so important to deal with because they've been there for so many years that it's going to take work in order to unravel them, but it is worth it. And it's the only way that I'm going to find healing is by actually revisiting some of these things from my childhood. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for being willing to say those things aloud. I mean, of course, you've written about them in your book, but the bravery to share them here. And I also want to say that I'm sorry that you went through those things. And I think that's important as fellow believers to acknowledge that you're being, you know, real to share them, but also to say that was not God's intention for your life. And so I'm sorry that you had to experience those things. And yet I'm grateful that he is is showing himself in the midst of your recovery and healing from that. I want to interject this, Mandisa. I mean, I'm, you don't know Julie. She's been my co-host and partner in a lot of things for a very long time. And some of your story was hers growing up as well. She never had her father in her life at all. And so I think it is not an unusual story. Some of these components are not unusual. And the fact that we get the opportunity to bring them into the light and say, here's, here's where we are. Here's where a lot of women are. But that doesn't yeah. mean it's where we have to stay. Yeah. That doesn't mean yeah. that that's, we don't land there and not move on, but we have the opportunity to move on. So... Give us a little bit. You said you you did counseling and start unraveling. What what does that look like? Well, you know, because it is trauma, um, there is something called EMDR where it's like your kind of clinical terms, but your brain kind of goes from left to right, like either by listening to sounds that flip from your right or to your left ear or looking at life that goes from left to right. And then revisiting some of these scenes from your childhood um, can help kind of repattern some of these messages. And so a lot of it is revisiting that. A lot of it is just talk therapy and something about speaking it out of your mouth helps it to not have as much of a hold. Like some of these things I just, I did not deal with. And 
So I'm being honest, talking about it in a dialogue with the three of us right now um, is easier because I have been talking about it so much lately mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I never really dealt with it. And also just recognizing the messages that I have received, being able to say, okay, where was Jesus in the middle of this? And I, I'm thankful my counselor is also a Christian mm -hmm. and my faith is such a part of my journey that I can't really separate those things. And so um, part of what I'm having to unravel is just the thought of why God allows things like this to happen. And I don't have like a magical, you know, quick soundbite answer. Mm -hmm. um, but I can say that coming to understand my father is somebody who cares deeply and was there and wants to wipe away the tears from my eyes, but I have to allow myself to cry those tears mm -hmm. in the first place. Um, that's been big for me, just not feeling like I have to have it all together and I can only talk to God a certain way, but learning from people like David, I've had my eyes open to all of his mistakes. He was a man after God's own heart, not because he, he was perfect, but because how he would pour his heart out to God. You can see that in the Psalms. He was honest, you know, when he was angry, he would let it out. When he was joyful and happy, he was dancing around. And so recognizing that God wants me to give all of my emotions to him and not keep it hidden. Um, that has been something that I have learned just recently that God wants all of it and not just for me to put on a mask and act like I have it all figured out. Yes, 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 yes. Like I'm over here nodding to everything <laughs> that you were saying. It's all so incredibly true. I'm curious, when you were going through some of these things, so in your adolescent years, were you a believer then? Or is that something that happened later? So I was raped when I was 16. It was in October. And I became a Christian a, a few months later in December um, of that same year. And I, again, I don't think that was a coincidence. Right. I really think right. something about that happening to me at such an early age helped me to understand that this Jesus that I had read about in my Bible was not, it wasn't just a story, right. that he was real and that he was a man of sorrows and that he could understand the pain that I was feeling. And so I just, I love how God is able to bring beauty from ashes. I mean, a few months before was the darkest of times. And then a few months later, the light came in. And so I just, I love that is how he writes a story is that even the things that you think are going to take you out, he's able to use it for good. I mean, we talk about that scripture all the time, how God is able um, to work all things according to his goodness. And that is the truth. He is able to use the things that I wish had never happened and somehow make them like a weapon for me to fight off the spiritual places of darkness. And that's just the kind of God that we serve. He's able to make beauty from ashes. Now, our listeners pretty much know you by your music. They may know you by your authorship, and they will definitely after this episode, but how did music play a role in your, your life? When did it come in, and was it part of your healing process, or was it a distraction because of your talent? You know, I, I've always sung. I've never, I feel like I've that's always been a part of my life. And even in, in high school, um, that's when I really started to understand the gifting. But it was a journey as with anything, you know, going from um, high school into deciding to, for that to be my major in college and uh, moving to Nashville and going to a school that had a really uh, strong music program. Um, music has always been something for me, but it wasn't until I understood that it's not just something I do from a stage, that it is a platform and that it's something that God has allowed me to, to use in order 
for him to speak um, through me into people's lives. I always like to refer to my, you know, what I do is not just standing on a stage, but using it as a platform. Because for some reason, I wish I could understand the power of music, but it's able to tap into things that just mere words are not able to. Like, I love that music is able to um, speak into people's lives. And even in thinking about um, King Saul and how David came into his life because Saul was tormented with an evil spirit and David would come and he would play music and that spirit would subside. I just think that there is something about music that God is able to use for healing. And he's done it both in my life personally, but he's also given me a platform to be able to use it for good as well. Yeah, I love that because for me, music is kind of the the thread of my life. I can go to different points and songs bring back memories. Songs bring yeah. back emotions. Songs mm-hmm. bring back, you know, a moment of time that sometimes yeah. is really sad and sometimes is just so joyful that all of that bleeds back into my heart. So I, you know, I love the arts and I think music is one of the finest ones and the fact that you use it that way is just delightful because we need it. Yeah, that's right. Now, I know in the book you write some about your struggles with weight or self-image. Talk to me about how that played a role in how you saw yourself and your relationships, Mm -hmm. your relationship with God. Talk to me about that because that's definitely something I've experienced as well. I think, gosh, women in general, it's just such an issue. We have all of these images telling us how we're supposed to look and weight has always been such a struggle. But again, as I shared, um, having my innocence, you know, taken from me at such an early age and having those mixed messages about beauty and then turning to food for comfort. Uh, and even my time on American Idol, like Simon, you know, making fun of my weight, my, my struggle with weight has been so public and it's not easy. (laughs) And there are times when I have done great. And then there are times when I start to fall back into old patterns. One of the things that I am trying to um, come to grips with is my worth and my value, not being on that, not being the reflection in the mirror or the number on a scale. At the same time, also recognizing that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that I am supposed to take care of my body, but not um, not giving into shame um, and beating myself up and saying things about myself that I would never say to anybody else. That's been a very fine line for me in walking the place of wanting to be healthy, but also knowing that I am so much more than my body. Um, I try to memorize scripture and I try to speak life, you know, over myself, and I. I, I, at times I do great, at times I do not do great, but I am learning again that this is something that I can turn to God for, and it is something that he wants me to walk with him through, and in the meantime, like learning to just reframe my mindset about my identity and my worth according to the word of God and not just according to the reflection I see in the mirror. Well, and I think you're absolutely right, Mandisa. I think most women struggle with this subject in some way and you know they can be what we consider the thinnest prettiest you know what's why would she have self-worth or self-esteem issues and yet they do and they'll have the same conversation with themselves about they may not be smart enough or they may not be talented enough or they don't have a job or they're not the same kind of mother as somebody else we can beat ourselves up all day long and to to try to Turn the dialogue, I think, is the starting place to have conversations with ourselves that encourage us, that say, here's, yeah. here's our value, here's what we like about us, 
is a great place to start. Absolutely. One of the things that I have done, um, because I realized I would do such negative self-talk, is to recognize when I'm not just saying out of my mouth, but even just thinking thoughts about myself. I put little sticky notes up on my mirror um, to speak truth, you know, over the things that I would want to say about myself. And I think just having little reminders peppered everywhere of what God says about you, um, I think is a great place to start. And even if you're not believing it as you're saying it, but like saying these affirmations of what God says, that's one of the practical things that I can do to kind of reframe my thoughts to not just give into the negative self-talk, but to say what God says about me instead. Absolutely. That's actually something I've been working on this year is kind of adopting affirmations that I would have said before, although that's silly or that's not even godly, but actually saying, no, I mean, the Bible tells us to renew our minds with right thinking, with truth and adopting affirmations that are supported by scripture is an incredibly healthy thing to do. I know you mentioned shame, depression, some of those things that we all have experienced or but are maybe afraid to talk about. What are some of the the coping mechanisms that you have discovered that have helped you to deal rightly with those emotions? I think probably the the biggest lesson that I have walked away from these seasons of darkness is the power of community. Mm. And I think anytime that we're trying to say that I I don't need anybody, I just, (laughs) I can do it by myself, or I just need God. And it's just God and me. I want to encourage people to see really what God says about that. Um, When you see any talk about the body of Christ and how important it is, what God says time and time again is how we are called to live with one another. And so having, you know, a small group of people um, that I consider to be my tribe, um, that is how I actually came out of the deepest season of darkness is through them reaching into that pit and pulling me out. And so I I think one of the biggest lessons for me is that community is not just something that's gonna fall into my lap. It's something I actually have to pursue. And it doesn't mean that I have to have a whole bunch of people in my life, but just to have one person that I can be honest with and that is able to recognize and I'm starting to go dark again, I think God works through people like that. And yes, all you need is God, but recognizing so often God speaks through and uses the people in your life to get his message across. That has certainly been my testimony. Well, and I I take the stance, Mandisa, that all we need is God, but yet he also created Eve for Adam because he knew we needed each other. He knew we needed a support system and we needed people that we could trust, ones that would both pull us out of our darkness or kick our hineys when we needed it when we weren't active right either. So, you know, I think having those people in your life for all the stuff is incredibly important. Yes. And I, I believe that the whole story of Adam and Eve, I believe that that is more than just marriage, that that actually can just be, you know, deep, close relationships. And I say that as a single woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't have my Adam yet, but I do have some people in my life that um, are, you know, they're, they're what God uses to speak into those dark places. And I just think it is so important that we don't try to do this by ourselves. God has called us to do community. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I want to roll back on, we don't, we do not say you have to have an Adam either. We have a lot of single women that are living incredibly full lives and that's where God has them. 
and you know we're we're yay raw girls go because you're you're Love doing it. it better than we are. Um, <laughs> I would be curious what would what would be your encouragement to someone who is dealing with some of the struggles that you've experienced, and you know maybe they're instead of turning toward God, they find themselves discouraged by things of yeah. faith and maybe turning away from from Him. What would you say yeah. to him or her? Well, I hope that as people read um, my book, they'll recognize that I am one of those people, that that is my default is to, my default is to turn away from God. There's that, um, that him, you know, prone to wander, Mm -hmm. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for that courts above. I feel those words so deeply. Like, I feel like I am prone to try to walk away from God. That's just the flesh nature. But um, one is God wants us Two, if we're angry, if we are hurt, if we are have sadness, if we are battling with grief, um, to recognize God is there with arms open saying, bring that to me. Even mm-hmm. if it means that we're yelling at him, yelling at him is better than ignoring him or silence. I have walked through the valley both with God and without, and I can say that walking with him is so much better. Um, and then also pursuing community, pursuing somebody in your life. If you don't feel like you've got any sort of friends or family that you can really turn to, ask God for that. That's a prayer I believe he would delight to answer because I do think that it is something that he has called each of us to. And even, I also want to encourage people, if it is, if you're really battling with depression and anxiety, um, having a professional that can help walk you through some of these things is not a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. It is a sign of strength to say, I can't do this by myself and I need help. So I think those are some places to start, being honest with God, surrounding yourself with people and looking for professional help to help you walk through some of these things I think are very important. Well, Mandisa, for me, what I love probably the most is your vulnerability and your honesty. But also, I think this book brings a lot of hope. And I would want our listeners to know that out of the dark means out of the dark. And it may be seasonal and it may be challenging, but there is always hope. And I would encourage our listeners to give it a read because, you know, we might think someone on a stage like you has it all together. And yet none of us do. And all of us have to get it at a place where we can get out of the dark, as you say. Absolutely. And one of the things that I feel um, is the most powerful part about this book is the discussion questions that I have at the end of each chapter. Because as much as I would love for people to read my story, I think it's more important for it to prompt conversations about these issues. I I really think it is an issue that um, is important in the body of Christ. And I think the way that God shines light into those dark places is through having these conversations and bringing it out of the dark and into the light. And so just having these conversation questions at the end um, that can hopefully move it from the page into, okay, how do I identify this in my own life? Um, I hope that God will use that to bring some healing into other people. Absolutely. I bet you're already hearing stories of how that has been happening as people have your book in their hands. So I bet that's really encouraging. Yeah, it's so encouraging to know that it's all of the hurt that you've gone through um, that God is able to use it for good. That is definitely encouraging to 
to recognize that God is not done writing each of our stories and he's writing a beautiful story. And sometimes there's some drama and it's not easy, <laughs> but in the end, um, we win in the end and recognizing that he is the beautiful author and knows what he's doing. Amen. I might say there's always a little drama. <laughs> yeah, a little drama. <laughs> love it, love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for writing this book and then taking your precious time to share it with us and talk more about it with us. I want to encourage our friends, our listeners to follow you. Where can they find you online? Um, I'm Mandisa Official everywhere. It's my website, mandisaofficial.com, and on all the social media platforms, I'm Mandisa Official sweet all right well it's been great talking to you today and getting a little glimpse into your life mandisa yeah thank you thanks for having me good talking to you all since mandisa talked about king david we thought we might go back to the book of psalms that he wrote a whole lot of and there's a verse or a couple of verses actually in the 10th chapter the 12th and the 17th verse arise O lord O god Lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So true. Wherever you are in your place in life, if you're struggling or even if you're at the other side, know that God is faithful and he always will look at you when you're hurting and need some intervention that only he can provide. I want to remind you of some of the things that Mandisa said helped her and continue to help her as you're walking your own journey in this season. She told us to be honest about where we are, what we've been through, and not try to hide or cover the things or hurts we've experienced. She encouraged us to get help, whether that's through talk therapy or group therapy or you know being open and vulnerable with a friend. And then she emphasized the need for community. And so we just echo these suggestions and lovingly encourage you to pursue them in your own life as well. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.